Hello again, everyone. Happy New Year 2024, and welcome to the 153rd edition of KHOI Community Radio's Capital Week, your window on the world of Iowa politics, where we explore and analyze who's been making news in and around the state capitol, what that news is, and what it all means. We are glad you're with us on this New Year's night. I'm Dennis Hart, joined as always by my partner in politics, Laura Bellin of the blog site Bleeding Heartland. Laura, welcome and Happy New Year to you and your family. Happy New Year to you, Dennis. I'm glad to be here. And I am too on this live Monday night, New Year's night. First time we've done New Year's night. All right. Laura, the Iowa caucuses take place two weeks from tonight. And we're going to look at what happened in the Republican presidential race last week that might or might not affect the outcome of the caucuses. And of course, we're also going to look into our crystal balls tonight to see what might be in store at the state legislature this year. All that coming up. But first, Let's look at what happened last Friday afternoon in Iowa. It was important. Late Friday afternoon, a federal judge ruled that a new state law that requires books that depict sex acts be removed from schools and which prohibits any instruction about gender identity or sexual orientation in K through sixth grades cannot be enforced. Laura, take it from there. So the timing of this decision was very important because on January 1st, the state was set to start being able to enforce penalties against educators in school districts that violated this law that required the removal of books that depict sex acts. So to set the stage here, there were two separate lawsuits, one of them filed by eight LGBTQ students and an advocacy group, Iowa Safe Schools, with challenging the entire law uh, and everything about it with a focus on several provisions. The other lawsuit was filed by Penguin Random House, the major book publisher, four best-selling authors, three educators and a student, and the Iowa Teachers Union, the largest one, the Iowa State Education Association. They were challenging only the provisions of the law that had led to books being removed from libraries. And so the cases, the judge, Stephen Loker, did not consolidate the cases, but he consolidated the hearing on whether to allow the state to enforce these parts of the law. And what he decided was that it's very likely that the plaintiffs are going to succeed on their first First Amendment claims that the the book removal portions of this law, Senate File 496, are way too overbroad. Uh, They're vague and they violate the First Amendment. And because of their vagueness, they also violate the 14th Amendment. He also ruled, and it's interesting because you mentioned the prohibition on teaching about LGBTQ concepts. And many people have talked about that aspect of the law as don't say gay or don't say trans in grades K through six. But in fact, he said it really, if you look at the language, it's not a ban on teaching about LGBTQ topics. It's a ban on anything related to gender identity and sexual orientation, which is basically almost anything that you could say, anything with pronouns that are male and female, having separate boys and girls bathrooms, having separate boys and girls sports teams. And so he said this whole thing is so overbroad and vague that the state cannot enforce this. And he and he actually even chided both the state and the plaintiffs for suggesting that it was a ban on LGBTQ topics. But in any case, the upshot is that Iowa cannot enforce those provisions of that very important education law. Now, those lawsuits came against Senate File 496, which the governor had signed in May. Now, let's be clear. The ruling does not do away with that law. It temporarily blocks enforcement while those lawsuits go on. That's right. And and I forgot to mention that there was one part of the law that the LGBTQ students were trying to block. 
This is the provision that says that school staff have to notify parents or guardians if a student requests an accommodation related to gender identity at school, such as asking to be called by a different name or using different pronouns at school. And the judge did not block enforcement of that. He said that the students did not have standing to challenge that part of the law because they are all out to their families and therefore they are not adversely affected by that part of the law. So he just didn't issue a ruling. So Senate file 496 had a lot of parts to it. I mean, it removed HPV from the mandatory sex ed curriculum. There are things related to schools publishing their, the list of books in the library. There are things related to bullying in there and open enrollment. So lots of parts of the law are in effect, but the two big things, removing books from school libraries and classrooms that depict sex acts and the ban on any kind of program or instruction related to sexual orientation or gender identity, those are the parts the state cannot enforce. The governor issued a brief statement after that ruling. She said, I'm quoting now, I am extremely disappointed in today's ruling. The fact that we're even arguing these issues is ridiculous. It's wrong. I'm going to continue to do my part to protect their innocence. That's very vague. Do we have any indication what might happen coming from the governor, from the administration? I asked the governor's staff and the attorney general's office whether they plan to appeal this temp, this preliminary injunction to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they I did not get an answer to that. So, But I will have to say that the way that the judge worded the ruling, I think it would be very difficult for them to get this injunction lifted at the Eighth Circuit. And I, the one thing that both the governor and attorney general Brenna Bird said in their statements is that they're going to keep fighting to keep sexually explicit materials out of schools. And of course, one of the key aspects of the ruling was that this law does not say pornography or obscenity or sexually explicit. It talks about all books with any description or visual depiction of a sex act. And that is much, much broader than an obscenity standard. And in fact, the judge even indicated that some kind of obscenity-like standard would probably be constitutional, but that this uh, these book restrictions are so sweeping that they violate the First Amendment. What kind of time frame are we looking at in terms of these lawsuits making their way through the court? Well, it can take years for these lawsuits. So, and, and I think part of it depends on whether the state decides to appeal this preliminary injunction to the Eighth Circuit. But we're looking at a long time because there would have to be, if the Eighth Circuit is asked to rule on whether the, the state can enforce these, the, these provisions of the law, but there will be further time for briefing. But this judge made very clear. I mean, this was not a final decision on the merits, but this judge made very clear that those parts of the law are not going to survive his scrutiny on the merits. He is going to deem those to be violations of the First and Fourteenth Amendment. And it was a very, uh, this judge, by the way, since we're now in this age where people want to know who appointed the judge, this was a, a one of President Biden's appointees, but it was a little bit unusual in that the basically the president asked Iowa's Republican senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst for recommendations. So the senators Grassley and Ernst convened a commission that interviewed many candidates and came up with this recommendation of Stephen Loker. And so Iowa's Republican senators actually recommended Stephen Loker to the White House, and then Joe Biden appointed him in 2022. What you're hearing tonight is likely information that you have not heard or read anywhere else. So we think we're giving you some added value this evening. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this? No, I just think this is a very interesting ruling. And of course, I, I mean, I, the political leadership is very unhappy about it. But I mean, one thing that could happen in the legislative session is could they could try to pass a much more targeted book restriction law that that does deal with sexually explicit books or books with obscenity. And I mean, that would be an interesting way of getting around uh, this kind of a lawsuit.
All right, we are two weeks away exactly, two weeks from tonight from the Iowa presidential caucuses, both Democratic and Republican. Of course, the Republican caucus is of the most interest. Two weeks from tonight. So much happened last week. We're going to briefly summarize that tonight because we do want to get into a prediction and a look at what the legislature is going to do this year. All right, last week, starting with President, former President Trump, this time it was the main presidential primary ballot he was kicked off of from the state's Democratic Secretary of State. Earlier, the Colorado Supreme Court had ordered Trump's name removed. Laura, my my thought is, my belief is the U.S. Supreme Court has to step in and, and make a decision here. I think they have to. I mean, I, they haven't scheduled anything related to the Colorado decision, but it just it seems like something that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to have to rule on one way or another. There are other states where this kind of process is ongoing. I think there are some states where efforts to remove Trump from the primary ballot have already been rejected, but it really is a, a topic that I think the courts are going to have to resolve. I agree with you. Uh, California, by the way, Governor Newsom said, no, we're not removing his name from the ballot uh, because the way to beat Donald Trump is to beat him at the ballot box. And so we, we, he is going to be on the ballot here in California. Meanwhile, President, former President Trump unleashed an online torrent uh, a fury and bitterness. It was his Christmas message, Laura. Yeah, he had a series of posts on his Truth Social platform on Christmas morning that were just, it, they were very odd. I mean, they were long rants about, he likes to say deranged Jack Smith. That's the special prosecutor who has indicted him for efforts to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election. But I mean, one of the posts was funny because it talked about his his enemies and then it said that they should rot in hell. And then he said, Merry Christmas after that, after saying his enemies should rot in hell. I mean, it was just the classic example of Donald Trump's rhetoric is so unlike what we've ever seen from any political figure in our lifetimes. Uh, yes. All right. Being two weeks away, we know the latest polls have showed in Iowa that Trump is way ahead of DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley last week made one of those mistakes that generates a whole, whole lot of interest and a whole lot of publicity. She was asked during a town hall in New Hampshire, what was the cause of the Civil War? Virtually everybody above the age of, I'm going to guess, 16 or 17 would probably answer slavery. But she did not answer that. No, and I think, and she was a little bit unlucky here because it just happened to be that, that slow news week between Christmas and New Year's. There's not a lot going on. If this happened on a day when there was some big news related to Donald Trump's criminal indictment or something, then this wouldn't have gotten as much coverage. But of course, when there's not much else happening, she said the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedom of what people could and couldn't do. And the the voter who asked the question uh, even said that he was surprised that she didn't mention slavery. And then later, she tried to say that the, that the question was a Democratic plant in the audience and that, you know, and that happens at these events. I mean, in both parties, people come and ask hostile questions at some of these uh, caucus or primary events and candidates need to be ready for those. Before this uh, hoo-ha, that's what I'd like to call it, a hoo-ha, the New York Times had reported on Christmas Day, that Haley, quoting now, now sees a chance to secure a better than expected finish in Iowa. They talked about this. Uh, meanwhile, Haley started a new series of ads. So did Trump. Where do you see this going, Laura? What's the bottom? Let's bottom line all this. I mean, the best news for Haley in Iowa is that she has this this pack, the Americans for Prosperity pack, which is paid for by Coke Industries, that they have this large network of canvassers. And that's been something that's missing from her campaign. But 
a ground game in Iowa before the caucuses is not something you build in a few weeks. And it's not something really that is as effective with paid canvassers as it is with volunteers who are literally calling their friends and neighbors in their neighborhood and trying to get them to come to a precinct caucus. Remember, it's an event where people have to show up at a specific place and time and be with their neighbors. So it really helps to have someone local making that ask. Uh, I will say that Haley is... She does better than Ron DeSantis with college-educated voters, and that could help her get a good turnout. Uh, college-educated voters tend to have higher turnout rates, but of course, the majority of Iowa adults don't have a college degree, and so I think that it's limited. I mean, I think it could go either way in terms of who finishes second, but Donald Trump is definitely way ahead, and I don't see him underperforming on January 15th. Meanwhile, the candidates were throwing Hail Marys last week, hoping something would connect. Uh, Haley and DeSantis said... If they were elected, they would pardon Trump if he's convicted of anything. Ramaswamy in Iowa said he would withdraw his candidacy if Trump is removed from more uh, ballots. Uh, and meanwhile, Ramaswamy went and did some push-ups with a pastor in Iowa. <laughs> Yeah. I will say, I mean, Ramaswamy, I think, is increasingly irrelevant to the conversation. CNN is going to have a couple of back-to-back -to -back town halls with Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis this Thursday, January 3rd. And then they're going to have the debate on January 10th that uh, apparently is only going to include Haley and DeSantis. And I think Ramaswamy seems to be a little bit frustrated. So I viewed that push-ups done as a little bit of attention-seeking behavior on his part. But he's also out there saying the polls are wrong and he's not doing TV ads because they don't have a good return on investment. And his campaign is going to bring in all these voters, young voters who have never participated in a caucus before, and, and they're not being reflected in the polls. And I will just say that a lot of candidates have had the strategy of trying to bring in new first-time caucus goers, and it is very difficult to pull that off. Barack Obama did it, and not very many other people have. We're going to wrap up this caucus talk with one more factoid, if you will. Republican candidates have scheduled more than 800 public events in Iowa in 2023. Ramaswamy scheduled more than 200. Ryan Binkley was second with 100. Donald Trump had 17, and he's way ahead. Yeah. So this the thing about the full Grassley, I think it's been overblown. I mean, it did work well, I think, for Rick Santorum before the 2012 caucuses. He did a lot of these the small retail campaigning. But the truth is, I mean, Barack Obama didn't campaign in all 99 counties. Bernie Sanders didn't either. And it's not something that you really need to do. And Donald Trump at his number of rallies, I mean, most of these 17 events that he's held have drawn very large crowds. And so that though crowds at those, at, at any one of those are probably larger than 100 at Ryan Binkley events, truthfully. So, in, and Vivek Ramaswamy has been saying he's going to do the full Grassley twice. Like he will, by January 15th, he will, we will have held multiple events in each of the 99 counties. And it's just, that is really not the main thing that voters are looking for. Right. Ryan Binkley's held more than 100 events and he was at 0% in the most recent polling. Right. And I still see when I hear Ramaswamy talk to me, it still sounds like he's auditioning for a role in a second Trump administration rather than trying to run as his own candidate. You have said that before, and we're going to hold you to it uh, because we have long memories here at Capitol Week. And also, uh, when we get uh, on that night, Capitol, uh, the night of the caucuses in two weeks, Laura and I will, and Laura doesn't even know this yet, we will go out and make a somewhat educated prediction about what might happen that okay. evening. Ready, Laura? We can It'll do that. It'll be the first caucus I won't be attending myself because the caucus is at 7 p.m. on a Monday, which is exactly when our show is going to be on the air.
Well, yeah, but the caucuses are going to be sparsely attended until our show is over. Everybody's going to be listening to us and then going out and caucusing. That's what we hope. It's 15 and a half after the hour, wherever the heck you're listening to us on this New Year's night live. And you are in tune with KGY Radio's Capital Week, your one-stop source for everything political going on in Iowa. I'm Dennis Hart with Laura Bellin. And we're here every week at this time, including tonight, New Year's night. We talk about politics, Iowa style, how it's affecting all of us. Let's quickly move on to a couple of things before we get to our look at the legislature next year. Quick numbers, number of abortions in Iowa, that's been a big issue, number of abortions in Iowa went up in 2022. And this is the Des Moines Register had some reporting on this based on the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services statistics. I just want to give people the big picture. So abortions in Iowa, they were at a peak in the mid-2000s, and then they were on a steady decline from about 2008 to 2018, really a massive decline of more than 50% over that 10-year period. And then starting in 2019, uh, they started really rising sharply. So there was a 25% increase from 2018 to 2019, and then another about a 14% increase to 2020. Uh, there was a slight drop between 2020 and 21. But in any case, it's been generally on an upward trajectory the last five years after going down steadily. And so People argue about what the causes of that are. One thing that could have been a factor in 2022 is more people traveling from states like Missouri, where after the Dobbs U.S. Supreme Court decision, some states had almost total abortion bans in effect. And that led to more people traveling to states like Iowa, where abortion was still legal. So that could have affected the figures a little bit. I mean, it's it's a little it's somewhat difficult to tell. But overall, one thing we can say is that abortion generally is on the upswing in Iowa. Some people, of course, in the reproductive rights community have connected it to the state of Iowa's decision to stop funding Planned Parenthood's family planning programs beginning in 2017. All right, another, uh, this was a classic holiday news dump. For those of you not in the news business, and I presume you're not, that's something where a government official, primarily government officials, could be anybody, makes an announcement that is uh, going to be bad news for a lot of people right before either the weekend or right before a holiday. This happened in Iowa the Friday afternoon before Christmas weekend. The announcement that Iowa will not take part in a federal program that would provide kids with $40 a month in food assistance during the coming summer. So uh, this is Dave Buzik, who is the longtime news director of KCCI TV. He wrote a column on this on his email newsletter about is this Friday news dump, does it even work anymore in the age of social media? And I would argue that it doesn't. And this is a classic example of why it doesn't. So the state, it, it newsmakers used to do this because fewer people will be watching the news, reading newspapers. If you if you publish on a Friday afternoon, like the Des Moines Register doesn't even print a Saturday edition anymore. So the idea is that fewer people will pay attention. But what happened was on this Friday, December 22nd, there really wasn't a lot of other news around. And so when the state of Iowa made this announcement, it immediately went viral on just about every platform that I could see. I mean, it was the most talked about thing. And then there was really no other political news leading into Christmas. And so it was something that everybody was talking about. So this was a program that the Biden administration started in 2022. The idea is that every families that have children who are qualified, who qualify for free or reduced price lunch, they will get $10 per child per week during the summer months when school is not in session. And this is the program that the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services has said they are not going to participate in next year. Also, the state of Nebraska has said they're not going to participate in the program. And the argument in the news release was that this isn't nutrition focused enough and that there's childhood obesity is a problem. And they're going to do these other programs 
that provide free meals and snacks at, at distribution sites, including schools and public parks. I mean, one issue with this, and I've been trying to get information from the state really since December 22nd, they haven't sent me concrete figures, is how many of these distribution sites are there? Because the program with the $40 a month per kid was going to absolutely everybody. Families were getting cards in the mail and they were cards that had money on them that they could spend anywhere. Whereas if you don't live near a free meal distribution site in the summer, your children might not have access to those other programs. All right. One more note before we go into our uh, look ahead at the legislature. The governor is going to hold a public budget hearing this coming Wednesday, January 3rd. Yeah, well, it's a virtual hearing. And so this used to be something that in the old days, governors, they would have their department heads come and they would talk about what was going to be in their budget for the coming year and reporters would go and they would have a chance to ask questions. And now this is being done virtually. And I don't think that the department, I, I don't think there will be any opportunity for reporters to ask questions, certainly not of the individual agency heads. So it's quite different from how it used to be handled. Are you going to be in on that virtual call? I have requested to be added to it. So I have not yet received confirmation from the governor's staff of whether I will be on the call or not. All right. We have about 10 minutes left, slightly less. We're going to look ahead now, as we always do on this first Monday night of the year, the new year. We're going to look at the upcoming legislative session. It begins next Monday, January 8th. Gosh, not as if we have enough to talk about on this show. All right. So Republicans, we know, Laura, head into this year's session, full control of the House, Senate, governor's office, eighth straight year. Priorities for state lawmakers, the obvious one, abortion. So I don't expect the legislature to take any additional action on abortion. Remember, there was that constitutional amendment that they passed once. They would need to pass it a second time to put it on the ballot that would say that the Iowa Constitution does not recognize any right to an abortion. But what I'm hearing is that Republicans are not going to put that on the ballot because it's very similar to provisions that were voted down in Kansas and Kentucky. I will say that one thing that's very important that could be happening as early as next week is the administrative rules related to enforcing that near total abortion ban, that six week abortion ban. The state is going to be considering that package of administrative rules. And remember, that ban is not in effect right now. But the rules are important because if the Iowa Supreme Court does eventually allow the state to enforce that abortion ban, these rules would govern how doctors would have to abide by the rules. Now, GOP leaders, they are waiting for courts to weigh the constitutionality of the abortion law that uh, we passed in Iowa last year. If the courts rule in June or so, if they rule upon this, do you see, and this is a predictive thing, obviously, would they call a special session and do something on abortion? Well, I don't know that it would happen by June because, I mean, right now that it's not really on a fast track with the Iowa Supreme Court. Right now, the the Polk County District Court issued an injunction saying this can't be enforced, and the state appealed that to the Iowa Supreme Court. So there will be oral arguments at some point this coming year, but it's not clear. I mean, the the court, the Iowa Supreme Court, they could just go ahead and rule that the law is allowed and constitutional, or but they could just say, right now we're going to leave the injunction in effect, and then it has to go back to the lower court on the merits. So, I mean, it's very possible that the Iowa Supreme Court would not issue a final judgment on whether this law is constitutional during 2024, or at least not before the election. It's There's really a lot we don't know yet. Stay tuned to Capitol Week. You'll find out. All right, birth control. The governor proposed a bill last year that would have allowed Iowans 18 and older to get birth control from a pharmacist without first seeing a doctor. She did not get it. 
Yeah, this was something. So some people have called this over-the-counter birth control. It's really more accurate to say behind-the-counter birth control because it, it you would still have to have a pharmacist dispensing the the hormonal. And but by the way, this is only for hormonal contraceptives. This would not be for, for instance, uh, IUDs like long-term reversible contraceptives like this. This would be like hormonal birth control pills. And it's something that. I'm not sure why, but it's always been more controversial among the Iowa House Republican Caucus than in the Iowa Senate. And so last year, it did pass by a pretty wide margin in the Senate. But I don't know. I mean, I know that there are some Iowa House Republicans who are really determined to keep trying to stop that from happening. So I'm not sure whether the governor is going to get that. All right. The GOP really wants to speed up income tax cuts. We're already on a track to have a flat tax uh, coming up in 2026, 3.9%, but they want to speed it up. Yeah, the Governor Reynolds has said that she really wants the state to be on track to entirely eliminate the personal income tax. And that's something that Senate Republicans have also talked about. The House Republicans have really in the past few years been more putting on the brakes on that. And I'm not sure right now, the Ways and Means Committees in both chambers, those are the the committees that write the tax rules. And Bobby Kaufman is the chair of that committee in the House. And I haven't seen any public statements from him on this. So we're going to have to see. The House tends to be a little bit more cautious in terms of revenue loss. Remember, the state of Iowa has been running big surpluses, and that's partly because of the federal funding, the huge amount of federal funding that came in through the CARES Act, the other COVID packages, and the American Rescue Plan. And that money is mostly going to be run out in 2025 or 2026. So there are real questions about whether it would be sustainable for Iowa to adopt more revenue losses through income tax cuts before 2026. All right, about four and a half minutes left and a couple of items we still want to talk about. The Republicans plan a comprehensive review of special education services, area education agencies, AEAs, and this could be a very big deal. Yeah, this I'm hearing a lot of anxiety about this. So the AEAs were created by, by the way, a Republican trifecta in the early 1970s. These are, they cover, there used to be 15, there are now nine, but so each of these AEAs covers a number of counties and they provide services to some school-age children, but also to a lot of children from birth to age three, mostly students with disabilities, but they also provide services to small school districts like special education, some media programs, sometimes librarians. And so it's very important, particularly in rural Iowa, there are a lot of areas where there just aren't practitioners. There aren't child psychologists and and speech therapists and occupational therapists. So people really depend on those AEAs. So we haven't seen the details of what Governor Reynolds wants to do Uh, If it's anything like the state government reorganization plan, she'll have a plan that she submits and she will hope that the legislature passes it with no, almost no amendments. But I'm not sure, like I said, I'm hearing some anxiety about this, especially in rural Iowa. And so we'll see if the legislature is fully on board. And finally, possibly our last topic here tonight, speaking of government reorganization, the governor wants to move ahead and reduce the number of boards and commissions and end gender balance requirements on those boards. So remember, we talked about this over the summer because there was a special, there there was a commission, a temporary review board reviewing committee that met several times over the summer. And in September, they came up with recommendations to eliminate more than 100 boards and commissions and also to eliminate this gender balance requirement. And the governor has said she's on board with that. She's going to submit legislation. Legislation, And so, again, the main question, I'm sure that the legislature will pass something like this. I think there's going to be some lobbying. There are are certain of the boards and commissions 
that some people will be lobbying the legislature to save, but I don't expect anything more than minor tweaks. I should say the gender balance requirement, Iowa was the very first state to have something like that on the books. In the 1980s, it was passed by a Democratic legislature and signed by a Republican governor, Terry Branstad, that said that boards and commissions, they have to they have to be gender balanced. And it really has led to Iowa being one of the leading states in the country in terms of having gender balance on these commissions. So Democrats are very much opposed to removing this requirement, but some conservative groups have argued that it's unconstitutional and that it, it limits people's opportunities opportunities to serve. So uh, I do expect that the, the legislature is probably going to pass that. And one minute to go. Democrats also want some things in the state legislature, but they have virtually no power. No, I mean, the Democrats are really at historically low points right now with 36 out of the 100 House seats and only 16 out of the 50 Senate seats. They don't even have enough votes right now in the Senate to block any of the governor's confirmations. So, I mean, they will be talking about their agenda that includes protecting reproductive rights, tax breaks that are targeted to middle income families, legalizing marijuana. But it's just not something I mean, their bills. It's very rare that a Democratic proposed bill moves forward out of a Republican controlled committee. And briefly, we have about 45 seconds left. We looked ahead last year on this first show of the year at what the 2023 legislature might uh, go for. We were right on almost everything, Laura. I mean, we were so good in our predictive uh, natures last year. Well, it's not too hard to be right when you have very large uh, majorities of one party and they tend to do almost everything the governor wants. Then it's easy to make predictions in that scenario. Well, all right. What are you going to be doing this week? It's the first week of the year. What are you going to be doing? Well, I'm going to be going to the Iowa Board of Medicine. They're having a, a public hearing related to those abortion rules. And I'm going to try to attend the governor's budget hearing. And there are a few other things I have planned for this week, some reporting I want to finish up before the session starts. But it's it's all going to be really busy because next week, everything happening with the legislature. And then, as you mentioned, a week after that, the Iowa caucuses. I will see you next week. I'm looking forward to it, Dennis. Take care. And to show you that we're live on this Monday night, Michigan and Alabama are tied at 20 with one minute to go in the Rose Bowl. Looks like it's going to overtime on this Monday night. Well, that's a... <laughs> oh, you're a Michigan fan. I, yeah, my parents went to Michigan, so I am a Michigan fan. I admit to that. Laura and I are going to be back next week in the same time slot after the first day of this New Year's state legislative session. And we're going to talk about everything interesting, entertaining, or important about politics, Iowa style. We hope you can join us. Until then... Happy New Year, everybody, and have a safe, healthy, and happy week.